Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeast. This is off the list. All right, welcome back to Off the List. By now, it should be very self-explanatory. I'm Nadira, I'm here with Ben. We talk about movies and music. I supply the movies, he supplies the music. Mm -hmm. And you know, just here to cross some things off some lists. So this week, our movie is Drop Dead Gorgeous. And our album is, how do you pronounce it, Ben? <laughs> yes. With an S-H on the end? I it, it seems like yeast or yeast like it, it's essentially oh, even yeast. I even in interviews Joanna Newsom's been like oh uh. <laughs> great I love I love ambiguity she said sarcastically yeah um, <laughs> so this week we will start with the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous um, just a quick brief rundown it was released in 1999 it was directed by Michael Patrick Yon, or John, but I'm assuming it's Yon, and written by Lona Williams. It is a dark comedy, and essentially the plot is it's a mockumentary about the fanfare of a beauty pageant in 1995 in a small town in Minnesota, and it's a very satirical dark comedy, so the twist is that the other pageant contestants begin to die or become harmed or sabotaged very suspiciously. Um, and yeah, I could say a lot about why I chose this, but the truth would just be that I was having a hard time picking a movie that would go well with Joanna Newsom's album. And so I feel like there's nothing more to say other than that. (laughs) So I think the first thing I definitely want to know is what were your thoughts, Ben? Tell me everything. Yeah. So it's funny. We've been talking about how we just love so much of what is brought on this podcast and I but I have to say like authentically not even because these conversations were swirling around just this is the first thing that I watched where I just was not vibing with it the whole time yeah that's great but I I will say it's not because it's not well done and it's not because it's not funny to me it just is so dark and just punches you so deep in the gut that I really could not find myself enjoying it. Like it, there were so many, so many scenes where you just kind of know what's going to happen and yeah. yet they still take it. It's just so out of pocket. I don't know how else to describe this movie. It's so out of pocket. It, Everything. This movie is so out of pocket. Like the, my, both my favorite and my least favorite scene, which describes how out of pocket this movie is, is when they are talking to a previous beauty pageant winner in the anorexia ward yeah and when she's talking she's talking yeah. like this because that she scene can't is hard to watch get i i both it like and then when her hair comes off oh in the God. brush at the same time it's oh yeah it's, that God. scene it, is really hard to watch this movie this movie is just so out of pocket it is so hard to watch the entire time your body is tense because they just pull no punches on just yeah absolutely demolishing you and your perspective so in a weird way I didn't like it because it was just so out of pocket like I just I I could not I love that take I could not get into it because it was just so out of pocket like I fully respect this movie I totally yeah and I normally adore black comedy but this was just so oh it's just so far I love that take um and I think that that goes really well with the background of the movie. So I wanted to get your take on it before I talk about sort of the background of the mu- of the movie. First of all, 
The movie has one of the craziest casts for 1999 that I've ever seen. It's got Kirstie Alley, Kirsten Dunst, Denise Richards, Allison Janney, who always plays... Allison Janney always plays, like, a mom or mom-adjacent character that lives in a trailer park in the Midwest. And yeah. I love her for it. I love her for it. Um, Amy Adams, you know, a young Brittany Murphy. The cast is insane. But even given that... It is a true pure cult classic in the sense that when it first came out, it was trashed by critics. Absolutely trashed. Like, Understandably. I totally I think get it, it has, you know, like a 28 score Metacritic and like a 30 something or a 40 something on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it became a cult classic for a few reasons. Um, which is to say that fans really loved it for a few reasons. And even Allison Janney says that more people come up to her about Drop Dead Gorgeous than they do about her entirety on the West Wing, which is hilarious. That's crazy. Um, yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that insane? It, it, um, it makes sense after watching it, but it, that's it's still crazy. So at the time, and here, here's just like a quick rundown of a few of the reasons. So at the time a lot of the films that were coming out that were teen films were very lighthearted, upbeat films. You know, I think in the same year, um, 10 Things I Hate About You and She's All That were released, Mm -hmm. right? And this was the only movie at the time that was, maybe not only, but one of the more prominent ones that was centered around teen girls that wasn't about attracting a guy. It had nothing to do with that. And it was dark, you know, it, it was truthful about a lot mm-hmm. of things. And it wasn't this sort of like bubblegum pop love story, you know, which I find very endearing. Um, and it is really a film about class, like when you get down to it. Um, oh, yeah. Someone, someone now, because it's venerated now, right, as this great cult classic, um, and someone from some publication like the New York Times or something like that said <laughs> that it's um, a wild, absurdly portrayed story that's fundamentally about small-town struggles and overcoming the adversity of being born into a class that lacks opportunities to ultimately earn the life you've dreamed of for yourself. And I mm-hmm. think that that really describes the film kind of down to its core. I mean, all of these articles also say yeah it's great but it's also offensive and awful and horrible but irreplaceable and hilarious and you know wonderful and so it it is a very divisive film and I love it I love it so much Mm -hmm. I don't shy away from dark comedy because to me dark comedy and satire is one of the hardest things to pull off. And I think this film actually adequately does it. Everything is overdone from the Minnesota accents to like one of my biggest examples was the symptoms of anorexia and the character who had anorexia. Uh, Just everything is overdone to the point that it just like completely makes a mockery of like the all American like sense of, morality and dreams and you know it's 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 so hard to not like dig into for me because I think it's just saying so much but at the same time god this movie is hard to watch it is hard to watch it is hard it is hard to hear them say 
the R word over and over again with the mentally disabled character. It is, it is hard to watch some of these things and you really have to stomach it. Like you have to sit there and be like, okay, this is a rough pill that I'm about to swallow, but it's going to be, you know, like the matrix pill that's going to show me, break me out of the algorithm, you know? So insane. Yeah, no, I like that. I agree. I, your summation is perfect. It's just like how hard it is. Like what a like bitter pill it is going down. I want to love it, and I really yeah. appreciate what it's doing. The jokes are really good. They're really funny. Like, the moments where um, they take the Jesus on a cross and dancing with her, the description of the at the gun range, all of the deaths. When the moms, when the mom, okay, so when, um, when Amber's trailer gets blown up. Yes. And the mom goes into the hospital and you're like, oh my God, she's safe. She's fine. She's alive. Like what's going on? And then the reveal that she has a beer can melted in her hand actually made me laugh so hard because I had forgotten that tidbit from when I first saw the movie, which was only a few years ago. And it just made me laugh so hard. There's so many absolutely wonderful moments in this movie to me that make me laugh so hard like another one is when they're talking about the girl who i mean she was murdered but she died while being on that like mini tractor trailer yeah. thing she's given the, that yeah. she's given this like epic monologue as she's going over the hill <laughs> yeah. and then the tractor just explodes so the part that made me crack up so hard <laughs> is when again amber after because you know it's a mockumentary so they have the crew and they're interviewing her and she's like I know for a fact that she never had a smoke until after she was off the machine and I was like oh that's so funny like it's just hilarious and I think to position it in a mockumentary style is absolutely genius it just is I feel like you know lots of satire is done mockumentary style and as it should be because it is the best way to sort of get that ex that hard-hitting expose Mm -hmm. Um, and then at the very end, you know, when the reveal is that the Sarah Lee cosmetics or whatever it was called went totally bankrupt yeah. and there was no pageant and they just start like absolutely destroying <laughs> the entire store is hilarious. And just the, it's just very of the time, like the idolization of Diane Sawyer, mm-hmm. the, you know, it's just very of the time. But I think overall, the last thing that I'll say about it that's prominent, that's not just like, let's talk about these little scenes is I think a part of the reason why I love it so much and why girls, like the girls and the gays, which are credited for turning this into Mm -hmm. a cult classic, more so on the femme side, right? Is because it's rare that we get to see, like that bubblegum shit is just forced down our throats so much, especially from that era, you know? And so I think this really provided a breath of fresh air. And so even though it is hard to like sit there and watch some of this stuff happen and some of these conversations being had, it's just so much more freeing and hilarious than watching the other movies that we've been forced to watch hundreds of times, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree with it. I'm glad I'm better for having seen it. And yeah. I think that it's, it's a weird thing where, you know, objectively you're like, I know that it was good. I saw this movie um, even if it made me really uncomfortable, it did the right thing in making me uncomfortable and pointing right. out a lot of the p- hypocrisies that exist in this space and the ways in which it can be made fun of. And, it, and also, I will say this, I think it feels very genuine in how it makes fun of pageantry because it comes yes. from 
the people who kind of came out of that background. Yes. And that's really important because it's something that I, you know, coming from like a rural part of Pennsylvania, there are so many parts of rural culture that you can make fun of, but from the outside, you don't really understand where everyone's coming from and where their like heart is in it. So it can feel just really cruel and unnecessary and it mm-hmm. doesn't feel that way in this movie. It feels like they understand that the communities here have purpose, but they're like, no, we're just going to ramp it up to 11, even though we're from here. Yeah, it seems like more of a critique of America as a whole, as opposed to an offensive take on life in the rural like Midwest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it actually feels, I completely agree. And not that I'm from rural anywhere, but <laughs> it does feel to me inoffensive and I think it's really hard to ride that line and I think it is definitely offensive in some other ways but I definitely think it takes the right I don't know path maybe Mm -hmm. um in terms of the things that it's talking about I just wanted to say how well everyone performs in this yeah no it's true everyone I, I my comment that's similar to that is just that if everyone hadn't bought in 100%, this thing would have been, like, unwatchable. It's so true. And I think that that is another part of the problem with a lot of failed attempts at satire. You really cannot be in between. Like, it's either satire or it's not, right? And mm-hmm. so however you're choosing to do that, whether everything's overstated or understated or, you know, whether you're absolutely serious or it's a complete facade, like whatever path you choose in terms of creating your satire, everyone has to be 100% bought into this idea or else it is not going to work. And it can be embarrassing for people to want to buy into an idea that is entirely over the top, which this movie is, but it just makes it such a more like satisfying watching experience. It's, it's just, I don't know. It is, really hard and there are times where I was watching this movie and I was like should I be enjoying this right now like I kind of hate the fact that I'm enjoying this right now but it is such a good movie it's just a cult class you know just a cult classic that I love that's really campy that's I don't know just Mm -hmm. lovely in all of the ways it is horrible and I think that in terms of it being a jumping off point or a period on all of these actresses uh, acting history to me is absolutely hilarious. Like when I think of Kirsten Dunst now, or when I think of Allison Janney now, you know, like Oscar winning Allison Janney to know <laughs> that she was like in this movie. It just is so funny to me. Amy Adams now to know that she was in this movie playing the character she was playing, you know, it's just, it's such a lovely little microcosm of like pop culture, <laughs> you know, I absolutely love it. So, I think given the current meme environment, the only appropriate way to start this session is just with like a quick like, yes. Are you doing the? Is your are your forefingers to the inner crux of your elbow? Yeah, of course, you just can't see it. Okay, great. Yeah, like I, that is like it is right there. And Joanna Newsom is screaming, knowing that this album in was which was released in two thousand six has anything to do with that. <laughs> But, oh wow so for the 
for some background on Joanna mm-hmm. Newsom. She is yeah. Let's get this background. A indie and baroque folk darling who started releasing music in the early two thousands. Her debut album, The Milk Eyed Mender, is this cult classic from that area of time, and she is known for just preposterously baroque and decked out orchestration and a vocal style that is very polarizing very hit or miss with people and it feels like when describing her music oftentimes there is a huge aspect of simultaneously defending her music at the same time because she is so polarizing people very automatically have a I really don't like this or I really Mm-hmm. need this vibe to when they listen to her and this second album Yeast is in my opinion probably the not the most accessible of her projects she released that kind of later down the line but the most important for understanding who she is I immediately gave you a very difficult assignment because right. there's really long songs on this album like there's five songs and they will range up to 17 minutes yeah and it's joanna newsom fully as herself which can mean a lot of things so i i think i I, before giving this to you i kind of knew what was gonna happen but like tell me what you think of this girl okay i don't think you do i don't think you do because to be completely honest i had a a really like 180 switch on this so before in the previous episode when we introduced what we were going to do for this episode, I mentioned that the only thing I had heard of from Joanna Newsom was Apoconican. And I still am kind of iffy on that. Like I'm still <laughs> not the biggest fan of that song. I think it's fine, but I think her vocal affect in that song really does frustrate me a little bit, which I think mm-hmm. is sort of the the main reason why I was hesitant about what I was going to feel about this. And I really fucking like this album. I like this album Ooh. more than Animal Collective. I even think I like this album more than the more than the Bjork album we listened to. I'm going to be completely honest. Wow. Like I really like this album. That's I know so how crazy. And my first my first um, note underneath the first song, Emily. Well, first of all, they're all hilarious, and I can't wait yeah. to send them to you. But it was just like, wow, okay, this is fucking beautiful. I stand corrected. I thought I was going to hate this. I kind of wish I hated this. Wait, wait, wait. quick side note. I think it's important for the viewers to know that when I was recommending this last week, I was like, so far, like, out of all the things I've recommended, this is probably the one that I have yeah. like, the least emotional connection to. Like, I've listened to it. I really appreciate it. It's not my favorite thing, um, and it's not something I go to very often. So it's really interesting to me that this is the one that you latch onto. Yeah, you know what it is? Well, first of all, this album is is giving. It is giving lots, whether you like what it's yes. giving or it's not. It is giving, I would say, Shakespeare's study playlist. You know, mm-hmm. if Shakespeare was alive today, out with the Spotify, out with the Apple Music, Shakespeare would be bumping to some Joanna Newsom. Like, he would be like, ah, yes, it is time to write with his little mm-hmm. quill, you know? Oh, yeah. um, and I was like, I don't care. This came first. Like Shakespeare, whoever, this came first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I, 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 think, I like that take. I think what I love about this so much is that I, I mean, I am a poet at heart. Like th- this is, you mm-hmm. know, I went to school for English literature and this is a very literative album. Like it's, mm-hmm. it is 
these songs are like fucking epic poems. My God, they are so long. Yes. <laughs> and yes. her lyricism in them is incredibly beautiful. Kind of hard to get if you're not also reading the genius, which I, you know, I had to have them side by side, but, um, it's, it's, ve- it's very like steeped in literature, even down to all of the references and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, just very steeped in literature, which I really enjoyed. I was kind of like, Oh, I feel as though I should be drinking tea and I should be wearing a petticoat and I should be like, this is my time to lounge on my Baroque chaise yes. in my drawing room. You know, like I was like, this is, I'm, I'm living for this image that she's painting. Um, and so I think that's probably the main reason why I enjoyed it so much. Mm. Um, besides just like the harp is so beautiful. The harp is yes. so goaded. Like the harp just makes you feel like you're just and people who actually know how to play it. I mean, this is yeah. now the second time we've had harp with Alice and both times it's just masters. Of yeah. Playing. And they're playing in such different ways too. Yeah. Which is very evident. Like they have, these albums have very different vibes to mm-hmm. each other. And it, especially from the heart playing. But yeah, no, I just, I was very surprised. Um, I really, really liked it. I was twerking to monkey and bear. I don't know how. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's the only song you could ever twerk to on this project. <laughs> um, but yeah, just the lyricism in this it was really, really beautiful. I think it would take me a few more listens and reads, to be honest, reads to yeah. completely understand the entire stories that she's telling and the pictures that she's painting. But I had a really nice time just sitting down listening to this. And I really thought that her voice was going to annoy me. And at times it did. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. There, at times it did, especially when she got to, like, squeaking. I was like... Oh, yeah, she really gets up there in the register. I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know about this. But Andy, I is this, this your god? More. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> My god, is this your god? <laughs> um, to, to know that the person who created... Um, um, pop star Never Stop, Never Stopping is married to this human is such a delight in the world for me. Um, so <laughs> there's that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought it would annoy me. It didn't. I actually rather enjoyed it. And that is my 180 take. <laughs> awesome. That's that's even better than you hating it, honestly, is the like inverse of you just being like, actually, kind of slaps way more than I thought. And yeah. I will add some other important background, which is Please that do. beyond Newsom doing all the heart, the orchestration, which is critical to this album's success, is done by Van Dyke Parks, which does not sound like a real name. No, nope. that's who did it apparently. Oh, that's a, that's not a band. That's like a singular person's yeah, th- name. Yeah, that's a guy. <laughs> okay, all <laughs> Van right, Dyke Van Parks. Dyke and Parks. The five songs on this project, Joanna has been very, very nondescript in her interviews about this album. But what she has been willing to talk about is how four of them talk about very specific instances or issues that she's going through in her life, which are Emily, Monkey and Bear, Sawdust and Diamonds, and Cosmia. And then Only Skin, which is this 17-minute behemoth yeah. in the middle, right near the end of the project, is her attempting to give connective tissue between these four songs. So saying, okay. how do these four events in my life connect? Right. Examples of them being her relationship to her sister or the separation within a lover or issues around pregnancy. Those are like some of the like kind of issues. And one thing that I will 
mention about this project, which is interesting coming from me, is that it is the lyrics on this project that made me really understand why it is a classic. Because you know me, as a like instrumentalist and a saxophone player first, I'm always paying attention to the music and then the lyrics come second. Yeah. But this is one of the albums where I was instantly like, no, the lyrics take forefront here. And what she's saying here is so utterly gorgeous. Like, I, it, it's like hard to like pin down, but like moments like on Sawdust and Diamonds when she's that's, saying- That's the one. That's the one that is like, if you want a tour de force in lyricism, just the overall metaphor, because I didn't completely understand it. So I really did have to go to Genius for this, but the overall mm-hmm. metaphor of being a taxidermy dove Yes. Referring to like your womb. Mm-hmm. Is so fucking sad. But it's, yeah. but it's, <laughs> it's so brutal. It's crazy. Like like death metal but artists wish they could come up with wish that they fucking wish. It is so devastating. But in the most beautiful way. And I literally I think there's a passage in there, um, because obviously it also talks about the de evolution or destruction, however you want to call it, of I guess a personal relationship of hers. And there's this line where she says, like, something about, like, like, we'll be fine. What was yours was mine. Appears to me oh, as a sandcastle. Oh, oh, and darling, we will be fine. But what was yours and mine appears to me a sandcastle that the gibbering wave The wave takes. takes. Yes. And I was like, oh. I literally wrote that down and was like, who thinks of this? Who <laughs> thinks of this? Because, yeah. like, oh, my God. Fuck a duck. Like, wow. yeah, 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 I know. The lyrics on this album truly just yeah. take it. It's the reason why I actually do. Like, you know, I might have said, oh, I don't have, like, as much of an emotional connection to this album as some of the previous ones. But I do genuinely love this album. I do genuinely think this album is spectacular. And yeah. it's moments like that where you're like, wow, she Bro. is on a different level than everyone else. Different level. Yeah, it's, it's just insane... And it's insane how she can sustain it for such long periods of time. It's insane how beautiful it is and how they actually really are kind of like poems. I, I actually wish that I knew more about sort of classic just culture and Mm -hmm. uh, religion to understand all of the references. And I know a lot of them were about um, constellations and stuff. And so I wish that I kind of understood. Yeah. One whole song is about the construction of Ursa Major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I wish I understood more about that. But the one thing that I can also say about this album that I really enjoyed was how, again, kind of like Drop Dead Gorgeous, but just how innately feminine it felt. Mm. Even if she wasn't talking about womanhood or birthing or her sister or life in the ways that you know a woman could think about life and in terms of the fact that we can bring it to fruition um is it the 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 metaphors just like the language she uses does feel feminine yes and so it, it it was very i don't know it just felt like oh okay this is the feminine anthem for the the feminist anthem for the ages yeah yeah and it's all done in a way that i can't I can't even imagine someone beginning to construct any of this. And that is what yeah. blows me the way the most is any any single person on this project, whether it be, you know, 
the supposedly existing van or <laughs> um, her just even writing down any of these lyrics. Like, I just, it's so hard to imagine any of these ideas coming to fruition yeah. that when you listen to it, it's very off-putting the first time and it's very both beautiful and I almost use the word frightening at times to describe mm-hmm. how deep into a lot of these ideas she goes. Like it, every song is so long because it's like she's taking water from a stone. She's taking this yeah. idea that you believe to have been wrung dry and she's just squeezing even more out of it than you could, like could possibly imagine. Like, you know, the, I use the expression water from a stone because you think it's impossible, but she's doing it somehow. Yeah, it really is a feat of a lot of things. It's just magical. It just feels like magic. Or at mm-hmm. least this is what, I mean, I, I, I assume some people will think that magic feels like heavy metal or something. But to me, this is what magic feels like, you know? And um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard to talk about because, again, I only listened to it once. And it's definitely an album that rewards a deeper dive into the lyrics, at least. Mm-hmm. Which is about all I could understand. I don't really know much about orchestral music, so it's not like I could really do a deep dive into that. But I will say on the orchestral side that my impression of how it was made as mm-hmm. a musician is that because one of these songs is entirely harp, right? There's no orchestration on it. Right. And so that gives me the idea that the way it was written was that Joanna recorded all of these songs harp only and then went to Van and added the orchestration in because the orchestration is pinpoint to her lyrics. When she is right. reaching swells, the orchestration will swell up or when she needs space, the orchestration will go down. So it seems to me like Joanna like had essentially recorded all of this harp only and then Van went in and added all of that extra um, orchestration on top of it, which I think makes the pill easier to swallow at times. I think that the way that those violins and entire... It, it must be like at least 10 instruments just sweeping mm-hmm. you through the lyrics can make it easier because, like we said, she has a very warbly voice at times. Yeah. It just can make that whole process easier for someone who's just like I like pretty sounds and then that pretty sound like makes you actually want to listen to what she's saying yeah and maybe that's me I do like pretty (laughs) sounds (laughs) maybe it's as simple as that but I I just think that you're so right I think she strikes a really good balance between not making things too complicated so right let's say potentially the opposite of death grips right which again really Mm. enjoyed loved loved death grips loved death grips great great time great yeah. time get annoyed. um but they kind of do the opposite thing where it's like confusion and craziness and chaos everywhere at every point from instrumentation and production to lyrics to the way they those lyrics are delivered etc mm-hmm. but for her like you were saying it's kind of like straightforward pretty sounds that help push the narrative along because the vocals are a bit complex. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's like, okay, I understand that this part is frustrating. So we're going to balance it out by giving you this, this melodic aid. And I think that it really, really helped. I feel like if the music was also some sort of 
complex something 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 i would have been like art <laughs> impossible it, it would be it would have been so hard i'm gonna head so, out like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like yeah just that like beavis is like i'm gonna go <laughs> yeah yeah I, I okay so i do want to i i want to know if you drew any connections and the connections could be dissonance right but any connections mm-hmm. between the film and the album if you did at all so i think that the main connection that I saw as I was watching the movie and I was thinking about this pick because you know we were we were a little bit like is this going to work like is it going to fit well together and the main thing I was thinking about as I was watching the movie was an uncompromised vision that put forward by like a white female creator that has a very specific thing to talk about when it comes to like their identity and that was the biggest thing that came with in mind. Like, the dark comedy doesn't really match, and kind of, like, the prettiness of this album versus kind of the vulgar nature of Drop Dead Gorgeous, but they're both just such uncompromised visions Mm -hmm. of talking about their own identity that Mm -hmm. they do feel, in some way, they have some type of kinship between them to me. I agree. I think it's, I think, again, it is dissonance, right? As, like, a form of harmony, I, I do think that they are completely different, but I was getting the sense that they do kind of pair well together. Like, I was oh, like, this I, is I a really weird, a really weird pairing. And I could see, cause I watched the, I watched Drop Dead Gorgeous first and then I listened to Yeast second. Mm-hmm. And there were times where I was listening to Yeast where I was like, oh, sections of this song, if they had actually been the soundtrack or the score over certain scenes of the movie, that would have been really interesting. It mm-hmm. wouldn't be the same movie for sure. Would not be the same movie. Yeah. But it would have been an a, just an interesting different take on some of the visuals and the ideas that the movie was playing with. And I thought that that was really fascinating because I thought that they would be so far apart that it wouldn't even be you wouldn't even be able to sort of talk about them together, but mm-hmm. I found them to be actually weirdly harmonious in a very different way, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I actually thought it was a great pick. Like I was pleasantly surprised because I did it the reverse order. I, I re-listened to the album and then I watched the movie and I was pleasantly surprised with how much I felt like we could talk about how those like kind of uncompromised visions create of artistry and how it leads to these because both these are very polarizing work right Right. i like some people oh my god some people hate joanna so much it it is really hard to put into words how much some people think her music is the equivalent of a percy jackson tale gone wrong it it, like Mm. some people really don't like her music they think that Mm -hmm. she's pretentious they think that her singing is obnoxious and in the same way, I also read some of those, like, you know, two-star reviews of Drop Dead Gorgeous, and people think the same way about this movie. They think it's yeah. vulgar. They think it's gross. Yeah, that's they, a really good point. Yeah. And I think that to believe that about either of these works, I mean, you're missing the point. They both have something so important to say. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't, like, love it. Like, in the same way where I was like, oh, you know, like, I'm not going to throw on only skin when I'm, like, trying to chill. but when i do put it on it really makes me think and it really puts me in such a different shoe than i've ever worn in my life that i can't help but just praise what she's doing here 
looking forward to next week. There has been, I try to, you know, cover the genres pretty well. And I also try to cover what I view to be albums that were really directional for the way that music is shaped now. Like I view Bjork, Death Grips, like a lot of this to be directional for how music sounds today. And there is one aspect of music that I think is often very kind of chidingly talked about in more critical spaces, which mm-hmm. is the genre of electronic music that is kind of referred to as micro house, which has kind of been co-opted and in America turned into like chill hip hop beats to study to. And <laughs> Got you. this idea of electronic music that is captivating, but at the same time relaxing and a good like mental space to work in. And I think that the most iconic and interesting example of this music before this whole wave of co-option happened is There Is Love In You by Fortet, which was released in 2010. And it is an album that beautifully explores Micro House. The album is gorgeous and it's one of my favorite electronic albums by far. So I'm very excited for you to listen to it because it's very unassuming at first, but then when you view it and listen to it within the context of this is over a decade old, you're like, oh wow, this album's got got some clout to it. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, Fortet is something I had only heard by name. I don't even know if I've listened to it. I think I might have listened to one song, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited for that. It was really hard for me to match this, just because yeah, it's it's an it, there's no there's no lyrics. It's kind of it's just just a yeah, vibe. exactly. And so I went for something that is either not going to work at all, or is going to really really work. Which worked this week, so <laughs> yeah. And so I'm I'm excited to sort of see where it goes. I have a feeling that this again might work for some weird reason. Um, but have you seen Mulholland Drive? No, I actually have not. Great. Okay. This is so Ben, as you know, um, I've been waiting for weeks now to finally introduce. <laughs> oh, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> to, to finally introduce some David Lynch into this podcast. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, there's no way to describe Mulholland Drive, except that it was definitely groundbreaking in some ways. But you gave me a sample Fortet song, and it really actually did fit with that sample song to me just because of what electronic music is, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of repeated weird sounds, (laughs) a lot of (laughs) things coming together that maybe shouldn't, you wouldn't expect to come together, but also kind of a vibe, but also like what? So (laughs) (laughs) I think that potentially this could work but either way even if it doesn't work i'm just so excited to finally have our first lynch moment on this podcast yeah and i'm really excited for it to be mulholland drive i think the movie is absolutely phenomenal and amazing um despite what anybody says about it i will protect it to the end of my days and um i think that you will be thoroughly confused by it and i can't wait um to have you be as confused as you make me when we do this podcast (laughs) That's so exciting. I actually am really excited 
That's such yeah. a good pick. I, I, at least from what I, I, I know, I don't know a ton about it, but from what I do know about it, I actually think this will be like a nice pick. Yeah, I'm excited. All right, cool. well, that, that is, is, uh huh, another two projects off of our lists. Yes, that is yeast off the list. That is dropped at gorgeous off the list. They should be off your list. I'm gonna say, please partake in both of them. Also. And- Support Joanna, because she's on that fuck streaming shit. Yes, she is. And support her, because if you support her, that also means that Andy Samberg is also getting supported. And although <laughs> he is a white man and does not need much supportation, um, I, 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 I is a fan. So I would like for you to, 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 to support. Um, so yeah, just support the whole family. They got a baby. I'm mm-hmm. sure the baby's cute. Support the cute baby. You know, just support the whole family. I'm sure harps are expensive to, to keep track. Support the whole family, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Perfect. All right. Excited to see you guys next week. All right. See you guys next week. Bye. Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes. <laughs>